Okay, welcome everybody to our August Wireside Chat. I'm Paul Woodcover, the Dean of the Online MFA, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melissa Hart. Hi. And, and our special guest, uh, Joanne or Joe Stout, uh, an instructor in the MFA program. Um, and before I uh, introduce uh, Joe further, uh, just a note on the format of tonight's event. Uh, it is recorded. And there will be uh, probably a 10 day or so period between the recording and its appearance on our YouTube playlist. Um, but that um, will be advertised to everyone when when it happens. And uh, I hope you'll spread the word. Uh, and uh, we have uh, Wireside Chats take place on the second Monday of every month. And uh, we have some great stuff lined up for the future. So stay tuned for that. But returning to our uh, event at hand. Um, let me give you a little bit more of a introduction, Joe. Uh, Joe Stout writes romance, reads romance, and teaches romance and writing at the college level. She's the author of more than 20 romance books. She publishes contemporary romance, fantasy romance, and erotic romance under the pen names Joelle Nicole and Rochelle Nicole. Joe loves writing sassy romances about memorable characters who have to fight to hold on to love. She lives outside Philly with a mountain of books, a raging caffeine addiction, and her delightful family. So again, welcome. Thank you very much, Paul and Melissa. We're, we're thrilled to have you here. So um, we wanna talk about a number of things tonight that I think will be of interest to our um, guests, our viewers. Um, you actually, we've had writers who uh, on before who um, who write under their own names and then adopt a pseudonym, but you kind of write exclusively under under pseudonyms, I believe. So can you talk a little bit about how that came to be? Absolutely. Um, so I was in an MFA program and I was writing paranormal and romantic suspense at that time. And we did a reading and there was an editor in the hotel where we were performing our readings. And he said, you know, I really like your voice. Do you write erotic romance? And I said, no. And he said, well, are you opposed to it? And I said, no. And he said, good, send me one. I'm an editor with a publishing house that only does erotic romance. And at that point, I you know, started working on one. And when they said, okay, we really love this. We'd like to publish it. Do you want a pen name? And I said, um, yeah, I teach second grade. So <laughs> I really should have one if we're publishing erotic romance. Um, so that's kind of, you know, how the, the, need for a pen name came out. Um, and I actually chose to take the first and middle name of a cousin of mine who had passed um, when we were young. And when we were kids, we used to write together all the time. Oh, that's beautiful. And, um, and we, you know, that was a, a big part of our relationship. Um, we co-wrote things. She wrote a story, I wrote a story, or she wrote a chapter and I wrote a chapter. And um, so Rachel died when I was in my early 20s. And so um, it hadn't been too much longer after that when they asked if I wanted a pen name. And so in deciding what to choose, that kind of was really memorable for, for me and my family. And then when I decided to work in reverse harem, which is its own kind of niche genre featuring a one female character and several men all in one relationship. Um, I decided to add an additional pen name just because the readership for that is very specific. And a lot of reverse harem readers don't read any other types of romance. Um, so I went with the Joelle Nicole because it's close to the original pen name. Um, but it gave me a little bit of separation and distinction so that people looking, you know, through my Amazon list and things would only find what they were actually looking for. You know, I've, I've never heard of reverse harem before. That's me either. And, but once you mention it, I realize that I have read books that are in that genre. I just didn't know what they were called, um, especially mm -hmm. in in like fantasy and maybe some erotic horror and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Anita Blake 
Um, and that's Mary exactly who I was thinking series. of. Yes, yep, that's yes. just so what I was thinking of. Laurel K was doing reverse harem before they even really had a term for it. Um, and the term itself is super antiquated and stems from really misogynistic terms. And I really wish they would come up with a new one for the genre. Um, but we won't, you know, that's a that's a topic for another time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, what was it like? I mean, you were writing romances and then you received this um, invitation to write an erotic romance. So suddenly you had to, to kind of adapt to a new the demands of a new genre. What were those demands? I mean, like, how do you shift gears or how do you adapt romance into erotic romance? What's the dividing line, if any? So the like official dividing line is that um, because I never wrote behind closed doors or what some call sweet romance where there is no on page sex. Um, I I had always had explicit love scenes in my books um, that I had been working on up to that point. But for erotic romance, the the integral part is that the erotic scenes, the love scenes, any you know physical interaction between the characters has to drive both the character and the plot. And without those scenes, you wouldn't have a book. So that's really kind of the difference between steamy romance and erotic romance is the in erotic romance, the erotic plot line drives the other plot lines and is so integral to the piece that if you took them out, you wouldn't have a book left. Mm -hmm. And a steamy romance then would be a romance that featured, I don't know, how would you, would you, would you think of it as, as kind of like a character enhancement, but not necessarily uh, required for the, for the plot? Yeah, Uh that's a a good determination. Um, And in a steamy romance, you can, you can still have varying heat levels um, where, you know, you are still five or six chapters, eight chapters deep in the book before there is any sex. And in erotic romance, you often see the sex much sooner. So even though the explicitness, like the, the level of heat in the books might be the same, where they're placed and how frequently you have them is higher in erotic romance than just in a steamy contemporary. Is it possible to have, to write erotica that is not ro- romance or does not have romantic elements? Absolutely. Yeah. And so the difference between those two is an erotic romance is a romance first and an erotic piece second. But straight up erotica is sex for the purpose of sex. Okay. Um, the characters may not end up together at the end. One of them might die. Um, It might also be a horror or a science fiction or a predominantly a different genre that has the erotica elements without a romance arc. So then the next question, now that I have you on the, now that I'm grilling you mercilessly, is what then separates erotica, say, from pornography? Are are they two distinct genres or or is it more like a subtle shading from one into the other or, or what? So uh, there's a lot of overlap and a lot of debate about that um, in within the romance community, but also within the feminist community. And generally speaking, most people who write romance or erotic romance or even erotica view erotica as a little bit more balanced and pornography specifically is more geared toward the male gaze Mm -hmm. and that focus of eroticism to please a heterosexual man than you will get in straight erotica and I say straight erotica, but I just I simply mean erotica, not erotic romance, not as in not queer. Yeah. I think I think from a publishing standpoint, would you say that um, erotic romance is probably a more uh, a, 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 a more accepted genres, say, than 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 just erotica or maybe a, a genre that has enjoyed more uh success in terms of like, uh, you know, attention from publishers? I think so, simply because romance readership is so huge and erotica readership is not necessarily. Um, And 
generally with a publisher, erotic romance will go through a more rigorous bout of editing and character development and other aspects than an erotica would. Um, a lot of erotica that is either self-published or published by like short in short format on medium or other avenues like that doesn't necessarily have as rigorous of a uphill battle, I guess I want to say, um, to kind of go through the development stages of a romance does um, simply because the focus is different and the goal is different. You know, erotica is written with the goal of eroticizing and arousing a reader. Romance with erotica is aimed at developing an emotional response from the reader as well as a physical. You know, it strikes me, um, and actually before I continue with that question, I just want to uh, let people know that if you have any questions, please feel free to type them into the chat and we will be sure to raise them uh, to our guest. Um, it strikes me that th just from the way that you were describing that, that there are interesting similarities between the the genre of erotica and horror, right? Like horror is a genre that is is aiming to elicit a, a particular physical response in readers, or at least some types of horror. And that seems true of erotica as well. That in a way they're kind of they're kind of like you know I don't know kissing cousins or something. It seems like. Mm -hmm. Is there is there like a thriving erotica horror? Oh yeah, genre? absolutely. Um, and if I could handle horror, I would definitely write erotic horror. Um, mm -hmm. I can watch horror, like give me zombies on the TV seven days a week. Great. But I can't read it. I I don't like I don't know where the disconnect is. Um, yeah. So um, but yes, there there is absolutely an entire genre of erotic horror. Um, I can't think of any because, again, I can't read it because horror. Right. Um, but and I, I have to say, Paul, when erotica is done poorly. Oh, man, it's bad. It's bad. There are there are literal online awards for worst erotica where people find things that they've seen online or in other places written that they submit to the. I can't remember the. Well, it's like um, the the bad the bad sex award or something like yes, that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you will find a lot of those overlap with erotica mixed with other genres like erotic right. horror. But I mean, you raise a good point. It's it's very difficult to write erotica in a way that isn't going to you know arouse people. To laughter. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it's arousing the wrong response. So so because it's tricky to write about this stuff, you know, the intimate physical relationships, the the uh, you know, the, the the workings of the body uh, there. I mean, first of all, there is something humorous about it in certain ways. Um, but but also I feel like it's something that people kind of tend to shy away from in their writing. And so then when they do write, try to write these scenes, they don't know how to do it. They don't know the, the lessons of craft that they may have absorbed for writing other types of scenes don't seem to quite apply anymore. And so they're flounder around. So what, what would your advice be uh, in that regard? Read more romance. Yeah. Um, just simply because in order to, you know, just get over some of your own hangups about sex, um, which we we all have in a in a society that we that we live in. There are hangups about sex everywhere you look. Um, and one of the things is that because people are uncomfortable talking about it or using terminology or you know just being at ease with the topic, that can make you flounder very easily when you are writing a scene. Um, and one of the best ways to desensitize to that and to also pick up the craft techniques specifically for that type of writing is to read great romance. And, you know, it also strikes me like, you know, to writers who may be con considering 
writing a romance of this type or any book that includes erotic elements or just, you know, thinking about spicing up their work in whatever genre by paying more attention to that side of things, um, you know, it seems like they they need to be brave, right? You have to try to do something that that you may be a little shy about or hesitant about or afraid of at first. Yes. Yep. And nobody writes great eroticism or erotic content right from the go. That mm-hmm. it, it just it doesn't happen. If you have never read it or written it before, you're going to stumble. And that's that's very normal. It's to be expected like any other element of craft for writing. The first time you do it, it's probably going to suck. And that's OK. Um, and that, you know, that's that whole concept from Anne Lamott about um, leap first drafts. I, I don't know how uh, profane we can be when we're uploading to YouTube. <laughs> uh, that's a good question, but I, I, I think you could probably say it. <laughs> I'm not um, going to censor she's you. She's got this this whole concept of shitty first drafts, yeah. um, which I love relying on in, in all of my writing classes that I teach because it gets past this concept of, oh, it has to be perfect. I have to be good at it right from the start. And that's just not true. Yeah. Um, let me uh, ask a couple of questions from the from the chat. Uh, here's 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 one. Um, how do you go about finding a reputably high quality fantasy erotic romance j- journal or anthology? Ooh. And I, assu- I assume that I assume that's like how to how do you find one to submit to? I do not know any of them off of the top of my head. Um, so I will say um there's a website it's called the absolute right water cooler um and it is a it's an archived website it's not actually a web archive but it's it's existed for so long that there are thousands of pages on it and the moderators have gone through and they have listed out publishers and editors by name so that you can look through the list and look somebody up when you want to kind of vet them. Um, And so that is one of the best resources to find, you know, a reputable place Um, in terms of finding who is taking that type of genre. um, It's, you know, it's just kind of a matter of looking into different publishers um, and looking into, um, there's a do it, it used to be free. There was a short fiction um, publisher list. It's now like a paid service. Um, it was Duo something, but I can't recall the the name. Well, yeah, of it. that's that's Duo Trope, I think. Yes, Isn't that's it? it. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, can I say go ahead, Melissa. I've been putting actually links to pub uh, magazine and literary journal publishers in the chat, those that specialize in erotica. So people look in the chat. Do you Thank have you. a, I don't want to hog all of the questions, Melissa. Do you have anything you'd like to ask, Joe? Oh, this is so over my head. I write like young adult and middle grade. And I got to tell you the one time I tried to write a sex scene in my YA novel, Paul knows this. My agent said, just don't. <laughs> please, please do not ever do this again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, is there a book you can get? Can you get a book to learn to write erotica? Oh, I don't know of any, like, compendium on the topic that is okay. comprehensive. Um, I will say, particularly for a young adult, the way you approach love scenes in young adult is completely different from how you do it in adult romance. Can you tell Um, us more about that? Because we have some YA writers. Absolutely. So um, in young adult, um, now I will say in, I'm going to call it traditional young adult, Mm -hmm. um, because there is now like a whole subset of erotica and erotic romance focusing on academies and high school Mm. aged um, protagonists. Um, but for, 
for a publisher or somebody who's really looking for a youthful young adult market where the readership is 18 and under or just over the the age range of of young adult the right. goal of romance in young adult and the goal of sex scene or any type of physical interaction between the protagonists is to develop a relationship or in the case of you know working with themes of sexual assault or things like that in order to to build the story arc based on that scene the goal of a love scene in romance is to elicit a physical response as well as an emotional response as we were talking about you know how you get that erotic feeling of readership when you're a reader of the genre and you don't want that in young adult wait you don't want to titillate your teen readers no well, no tell no tell that to jenny bloom <laughs> <laughs> got it yeah i mean and well, so, i'm sorry go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt that's okay um just because part of such a big part of the young adult readership is now adult the readership gets really kind of squicked out if they're having mm. like an emotional and physical reaction to 16 year olds having sex. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got that. You know, that the part of, of that makes me think though, of like, you know, certain anime series and things like mm -hmm. that, which really do kind of sexualize, you know, um, teenagers and, and young adults. Yeah. Um, it seems like, Maybe in that genre, it's a more acceptable kind of trope, I guess, to employ. Uh, I don't, of course, I don't know exactly what the readership of those genres is, but I do know that that plenty of young adults read them. Um, mm -hmm. My my stepdaughter did when she, you know when she was that age. Yeah. And maybe that has has is is having its impact on um, what what is considered to be acceptable you know in in uh you know in publishing circles yeah i wonder though because of all because of the increased book bans if we're going to mm -hmm. see less of this sort of thing in young adult literature i think that's a a valid concern to have i think that's valid in in any genre that we're yeah. writing these days, especially things like erotic romance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I would, I would hate to see a response to that to be, you know, well, let's self-censor a little bit, you know, so yeah. as so as not to upset anyone. I, I feel like that would be the wrong way to go. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, here at SNHU in our online MFA program, you know, we we don't want to censor anybody, and we encourage people to explore you know, whatever it is that they want to explore. Not that there aren't limits, but but they are they're hard to exceed those limits. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Joanne, can I ask you another question from the chat? Absolutely. What are your favorite literary communities, events and resources for romance and erotica writers? Oh, OK. Um, so uh, five years ago, I would have said RWA but I don't give that answer anymore. And can you explain um, very yeah, briefly why right. for those who might not be familiar with, with that whole situation? Sure. So um, RWA was a worldwide organization with more than 10,000 members. Um, in the last several years, a lot of shifts and a lot of um, public knowledge now of some very nefarious things that the organization had been doing in terms of policing its membership, um, specifically members who were not cisgendered white women. Um, so anybody who was queer, anyone who wasn't a woman, anyone who wasn't cisgendered or white, um, there, there was a lot of gatekeeping um, and a lot of issues with actually embracing the diversity of the membership. Um, and so when that happened, the local chapters and a lot of the members fled the organization um, because despite trying to fix it, it, it didn't really happen. Um, so a lot of the chapters that were RWA affiliated were allowed to leave Romance Writers of America. Um, 
including my local chapter in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and the newly minted Philadelphia chapter. Both left and are still local nonprofit or um, not or unofficial organizations, I guess, um, for the Philly chapter. And so finding a local group um, can be great, even though they're not affiliated with a national organization. A lot of the local chapters that survived are still building membership and bringing in people who are writing romance. Um, in terms of online communities, there are fantastic Facebook groups for readers um, and writers. I'm in, oh, at least a dozen of them. If you just um, if you just kind of look through the the Facebook like group setting and you type in romance or romance author, um, those are all good ways to start looking um, into those. I can send or or put in the chat or send it to Melissa or Paul to add to things um, a couple of the names of of the or the groups um, if that would be helpful. Sure. That'd be great. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm kind of kind of scrolling back through the chat because I want to get some more of these questions out here. Um, what are your thoughts about reading apps such as Radish and Dream for writers wanting to dip their toes into writing erotica? I have found some excellent novels that have gone on to traditional publishing and some that are obviously from beginners. Oh, so um, I think that those platforms are fantastic um, for specific types of writing. I couldn't like I couldn't get into them because of the short format. I can't write short to save my life. Um, I, I have to be novel length. Um, even serializing a novel just doesn't quite work for me. Um, but I think that's a great way to one, start reading and finding what you like, what you don't like, and what you think works in that format. Um, and then also as an author to kind of get into those programs um, can be fantastic. I know a lot of writers who use that to either supplement their other income or are pushing out you know, stories by week or by month on some of the pay, the pay platforms um, that have readership that do a lot of like serialized fiction. Um, there are a, a bunch of different ones and there are two or three that are very new um, since Kindle Bella came out. Um, that kind of format is becoming more and more popular. Mm -hmm. Here's a great question from uh, Dow who asks, uh, do you find yourself pigeonholed as a romance writer, unable to sell any other genre? If so, is that fine with you? Or do you also write outside the genre? And how do you deal with that? So for me personally, I don't feel pigeonholed with romance because I don't really have the desire to write anything else. Um, that's really just what I love. It's what I love to read um, and it's what I love to write. And I think that there are great ways to differentiate between one and one genre and another, like having a pen name. Um, if you write in an established genre like romance or erotic romance or whatever genre you're writing in, but you want to change genres, if you're looking for an agent or an editor, a publisher, or if you're doing it independently, Switching to a pen name that's separate from the next genre is a great way to kind of make sure that you don't kind of get pigeonholed um, into only one specific niche. Um, we're starting to get like some incredible questions in, in yeah, the chat. So these let are me, fantastic. So let me just continue with one and then I'll let you read one, Melissa. You yeah, can, yeah. Okay, so here's one. Do you have any advice for integrating romance aspects into other genres, especially if a writer isn't as familiar with writing romantic scenes? Oh, yeah. So um, so I think that romance is like part of the human condition. Right? As humans, we are kind of hardwired to love other people in one aspect or another. And I think that adding romantic subplots in other genres can help you so much with your character and with your um, plot arc that you don't necessarily realize it from the beginning. 
Um, and one of the best ways to kind of study that is to look for whatever subgenre of romance would be closest to yours. So like if you're writing fantasy or even high fantasy, go to fantasy romance and look at what is being sold under that heading of fantasy romance and study, you know, the way that the fantasy elements and the romance elements kind of build off of one another um, and how the authors in that genre are plotting their romance arc from start to finish. You know, where's the first kiss? Where is the first glance or whatever that book's equivalent of those things is? Where's the first sex scene? Um, how much is in those types of sex scenes and love scenes that impacts the emotional arc for each individual character as well as the building of the romance. Um, and just kind of really specifically writing down where those things happen um, can really help. The other thing is there's a book, um, it's called Romancing the Beat, and it uses the um, theory of beat sheets from like script writing and the original beat sheet was written, you know, for all fiction, um, but romancing the beat is specifically how to adapt that method for romance arcs. Um, and that can be a great way to build a romance arc from scratch in an existing book. Clever title, too. Yeah. You know, so, what, I'm sorry, Melissa, go ahead. Well, I just wondered, Joanne, do you do you plot? Do you use um, software, novel plotting software? How do you do this? Um, so I learned a plotting method based on screenwriting tricks at a romance writers at an RWA um, local meeting. And um, I loved it. Um, I it's um, it's the the three-act structure method, um, and it takes you through kind of like what should happen in act one, what should happen in act two, and what should happen in act three. Um, and the screenwriter, her name is Alexandra Sokoloff, um, and she says, if you watch any um, two-hour romance movie and you pause it at 60 minutes in the movie, the characters are having sex. No way. Which she calls it sex at 60. Because that's the midpoint of a two-hour movie. And at the midpoint, the characters need to be having sex. Because that's what propels the whole second half of the movie um, plot and development. Um, wow. And so she uses that kind of, like, really specific analytical, um, like, mindset and applies it to a fiction book. I It's, it's brilliant. Um, and so now that is what I use to plot every one of my books. So wow. so for you, would that be, I mean, as the equivalent, like, you know, sex by, you know, 160, by page 160, <laughs> that's what has yes. to be happening. Okay. Yes. Yep. And so, it, and in an erotic novel, it changes because you have sex sure. right at the beginning. Um, but that's like the emotional turning point or the sex scene that then screws everything up for right. the characters right because the template is the template regardless right it's just like various actions in your plot are going to be weighted differently depending on what genre you're writing in so they may come earlier or later but the 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 purpose that they serve will be relatively the same based on whatever the template is that you're using what about an exercise? I mean, when I heard you talking before about like, you know, read read a romance, a fantasy romance and take note of all of these things, it reminded me of some advice that I got many, many years ago from some of my teachers at Clarion, uh, Kate Wilhelm and Damon Knight, which was basically to like go through novels with 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 different colored highlighters and just use a different one to highlight every uh, craft element or every time, you know, the first time a character appears, uh, developments in the plot, developments in the character's emotional arc, and, you know, then go back and kind of look at the rainbow that you've produced and look at the patterns because, you know, human beings are pattern perceiving or creating creatures. And when you see it laid out in visual terms like that, it can become easier to sort of pick up on the underlying patterns that our words are kind of without often without our even really noticing it 
um, adhering to. And, you know, one of the, the things about becoming a better writer is definitely becoming more conscious of what you're putting on the page. Yep, absolutely. And I, um, the three act method actually, um, let me step away for two seconds. Meanwhile, we can admire Joe's incredible bookshelves. Yeah. <laughs> Bookshelf envy. So y'all make, so, make sure you save the chat. There's really good stuff in there. So this this is the board that you use for the three act plotting method. It's just a dollar store like science display board. Um, and I have uh, printed out the like what should happen in each act. And then it's covered in um, like sheet protector so that I can write on it with whiteboard marker and then oh, wipe wow. it off every time I do it for a different book. And then you use um, three by five note cards on the board. And then I highlight them and I use a different color, just like you were saying, Paul, for each thing. So each character's arc gets one each time there's um, a subplot that gets a different color the romance aspects get a different color, the heroine's growth, the hero's growth. So that because I am so visual that that lets me see, oh, I need more of this here. I need more of this there. Hmm. I need more Somebody green. Somebody shows up here. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. And how often, like, I, I couldn't help but notice that, that in the board you just showed us, um, you had printed out the components of the various acts. So how often... I mean, once you reach that stage, do, the, do those components change? Will they alter or, or do you pretty much stick to your outlines once you've conceived them? Oh, no, no, no. I'm I'm always going off. I, I always tell my students, think of your plot like a trellis, right? And your book is what's going to grow through that trellis, right? So your framework is your plot and that's what you've laid out. But your roses might decide to grow this way instead of that way. Or, you know, you might need to fill backfill some here or help them grow in this direction if it's not going the way you want it. But you're never tied in or, you know, required to use the plot that you set out. Um, and sometimes in my books, my sticky notes or my three by five cards will simply say sex because I know <laughs> that a sex scene needs to happen at that point in the book. Um, and then I fill it in later. Yeah, you know, it, it, a, a lot of times I think you can, and, and this is an observation that I think holds true for, for any, any genre, plotting in any genre. If Once you know the genre well enough, you can see what's missing, right? You can see what's needed. You might know plot point over here and another plot point over here, and you can you know from experience or whatever that okay there's like a, if these are like mountains then there's a valley in here right so so something needs to go in there that is you know analogous to a valley so if these are all you know at a high, some kind of high high pitched emotional level then this will be correspondingly low pitched perhaps something else is going on here and those kinds of uh, inferences can lead you to what you don't consciously yet know about your plot Absolutely. Um, there was one other question in here I wanted to ask you about. Um, oh, no, we already asked that. OK. What about the. Um, Danielle asked a question about what kind of author descriptive uh, subscriptive services besides chapterly like Vela are conducive to releasing short erotic romance stories to a readership. Um, Maybe you medium. sort of covered that one already. Yeah, um, but medium is the other one I know off the top of my head um, that people are are doing successfully with short erotica. I dipped my toe in that pool at some point um, and it, you know, it worked well for me. It worked really well to get me writing again um, because I, I could just kind of have fun with what I was doing. Um, and medium pays per read. Um, so it's based on how many reads, like how the length of the story and how many people read it. Um, in order to be successful um, with medium subscription, you you have to publish constantly. Right. And that's really hard for a lot of people. 
Um, but to do it as an exercise or to do it as, you know, being part of the community or learning your craft or connecting with readers, um, you know, that's those are all great benefits to Medium in addition to being able to be paid for your writing. So can I ask a question, Joanne? Mm -hmm. I just got back from teaching at a writer's conference and it was multi-genre. They covered mm -hmm. everything. Are there writing conferences specific to romance and or erotica? Um, RWA has a national conference every year um, and it's a, it's huge um, or ha has been up until the, the decline in membership okay. um, and that moves across the country every year. Uh -huh. uh, it's in a different city. Um, but I don't know of any other ones that are specific to romance. Um, there was a BDSM or a kink con for a few years, um, but then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's come back since huh. then. Oh, I know that there are because I wanted to speak at that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that there are sometimes, you know, Regular cons will have by regular, I mean, like genre specific cons will have, you know, kind of kink elements. There would be a panel on that or there might be something, you know, in a masquerade or something, you know, of that sort. But, um, you know, I've been trying to find alternative conventions to RWA because I I feel from my own uh, knowledge of it and from my, talking to other writers who have been members and in, in Wireside Chats or in um, Word for Word events, I feel like, you know, it's not quite time yet to rejoin RWA. So I've been, but I, nonetheless, I want to go to those spaces. I want to meet those writers. I want to meet those, um, those fans. Um, and it's been very difficult to find, a, a, I found some very small kind of regional cons um, that are really more kind of fan based than writer based. Um, yeah. So it seems like it's odd to me that RWA dominated things for so long. It seems like there's an opening now for for an, a rival organization, maybe that's that's better uh, attuned to the to the 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 present moment. Yeah, I, I would love for one to to just appear. Um, oh, Passionate Inc. Yes, um, Passionate Inc. became its own independent a non-affiliated chapter like a lot of the local chapters passionate inc is the erotica rwa former chapter and they're completely online i keep forgetting to redo my membership there but but yes they are uh, um, they are great here, here's a question about ai do you do you use an ai write, writing program and i'd like to just expand on that a little bit as well because I feel like if there's one genre that AI is going to have a lot of trouble with, it's going to be writing romance or specifically erotica that does not, <laughs> right? That does not cause yes. the kind that exact reaction. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes. So I um, I actually had this conversation with my husband um, because at one of the other schools that I teach at, we're being asked to put in um, AI like an AI policy in our syllabi um, for our students for the upcoming term. And he said flat out, if, if any of your students know enough about AI generation to tool a program enough to spit out something cohesive and great, um, just give them an A because they know more about this than I do. And it's been my job <laughs> for the last year. Um, and so, um, I don't use it um, simply because uh, I, well, two things. One, I have moral qualms about it because every AI generator currently in existence um, has used scraped content from published authors without consent or in payment. order to, or payment, or um, in order to train the AI and the program on how to do these things. Um, you cannot find one that exists currently that did not do those things. Um, and second, because I do not have the time or bandwidth to try to train one to write like I write. Yeah. It will never be able to output more than I could output myself. Um, even though I'm currently not writing fiction, there was a time I could write 10,000 words in a day. 
Um, and, I, you know, I can't, I, I don't have the time to try to get an AI generator to do that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I do, I do understand the, the concern um, that many writers express about, about AI. Um, at this point, though, speaking as a, you know, someone who's been an editor and has been writing for many, many years and teaching writing for many, many years, I mean, you, there's just no, it's impossible to, to, I venture to say that it's impossible to, to present AI work and have it pass muster as having been written by a human being. I mean, I don't, I, I cannot imagine any professional editor uh, who would be fooled or would, um, you know, would would make that mistake, would not catch it very quickly, which isn't to say that there can't be useful, um, you know, ways to employ this technology as a tool for writers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm all in favor of that, actually. But so, I, you know, I feel like some some of the fears are a little bit overblown at this point. Here is a terrific question, if you have a bit more time. How much self-promotion do you find that you're having to do and what, what type works best for you? Um, I am still trying to figure that out. Um, I feel like, so I was with a publisher, a couple of small presses, actually a, a few different ones. Um, I had never really been with any of the major five publishers. Um, and so with a small press, all of the marketing is up to you. So a small press gives you the benefit of, um, at the time, back in 2011, 2012, um, of being legitimate because self-publishing wasn't really considered a legitimate avenue to publication at that point. Um, and a small press gives you cover design and editor, um, but they don't really have marketing budgets because the overhead is just too much. And so you're still doing all of your own marketing. And so for self-publishing, that never changed for me. Um, the control I got over it and the amount of time I spent on it increased um, significantly. And I, you know, for a while it was blogs, doing blog tours worked really well. And then those kind of fell out of favor. It seems to me like every time I kind of get a handle on marketing, marketing changes. Mm -hmm. So um, the most recent one specifically for romance has been TikTok. Yeah. Um, people are killing it on TikTok. Yeah. Um, I can't, it just, I can't, because I don't have the time to dedicate to making and publishing videos regularly enough um, and interacting enough in that space to make it work for me. Um, I tried for a little while, um, but you have to really kind of like go all in on TikTok. Um, and the last, I want to say two months, I've seen a lot of authors saying, oh, they're changing the algorithms. Everything I was doing that was working really well and getting me 60, 70, 80,000 views, suddenly I'm getting 100. Um, and so that, you know, that kind of shift all the time and having to pivot as a business person all the time um, is not my favorite thing about the writing business at all. Um, and so for the most part, I've kind of taken a, a bit of a step back from that. Um, and, you know, yeah, my, my sales will recognize that. Um, you know, the thing that worked well for me for a while was Facebook groups and a newsletter. Um, and it just is all pretty much your mileage may vary. You know, what works for one author is not going to work for you. Um, and I would suggest anybody that's like looking to get into doing more marketing is find the one that is the most enjoyable for you because you're going to be doing it a lot. And if it's inorganic or it feels forced for you to produce the content, your readers are going to know. Yeah. Yeah. They can spot something that's inauthentic or fake. They'll know that you're just kind of, you know, basically trying to scam them. Yeah. But but it can be hard because, you know, like you say, you put in th this effort and you do find something that's that works for you. And then the al algorithm gets changed or something new and shiny comes along and and suddenly, you know, you have to you have to adapt. It's a whole other um, 
uh, facet of being a writer, I think, that really wasn't, certainly when I was first starting out, that was just not even part of the equation. So um, we're, we're kind of coming down to our last 10 minutes, and I just want to encourage people again to please post questions if you if you want to. And I'm going to going to go shift a little bit to a subject that I that I mentioned that that I might want to bring up. Uh, and you mentioned your husband earlier um, and it, before the, the chat began, um, I learned that he, too, is a writer. Um, so I wanted to ask a little bit about um, the the benefits the challenges you mentioned that you had that the two of you had actually collaborated in various ways so so um can you talk a little bit about that what's it like to be married to another writer is that something that that has been been is it is it a net positive i mean does it help your your yeah. creativity or do you have to like set up a wall and say like you know this far and no further everything is on <laughs> on this side is my writing <laughs> um it is fantastic um so we met, my husband and I met in our MFA program. Um, and so uh, we did not date while we were in the program. We reconnected a few years later and, and started dating. Um, but being able to bounce ideas off of each other, talk through plot points, say, ooh, I learned this method, maybe this will work for you. Or, hey, what do you think about you know this? We um, pre children would get into like hours long workshops at just at home together, um, you know, going back and forth. And when my publisher closed um, and I decided to self-publish and add books to my backlist that was with the publisher, um, he became my editor um, because that is what worked for us at that point. And it allowed me to significantly reduce the upfront costs of taking eight books that had been with a publisher and republishing them with four or five new titles all within a, a year of each yeah. other. Wow. Um, I can, I can just imagine that's a huge task. Yeah, there was a, a pretty steep learning curve in that, but he had actually been self-publishing for a while before I jumped into that. And so he taught me a lot of things that had been in place when I started doing it. And then since I have continued to do it and he's kind of getting back into the writing world, um, I've kind of returned the favor now and saying, you know, oh, this is how I format now that, you know, the programs have changed so significantly since he first started self-publishing in 2005 mm -hmm. um, that, you know, it's just, it's just a whole different ballgame. Um, and so that's been really cool the last two years. And I actually have been designing his covers for oh, him, cool. um, which is a lot of fun. So yeah, so there, there is like this huge back and forth um, between us and we both have day jobs and we have a three-year-old. And so you know, our focus is not on the writing world predominantly, um, but For now. we've been able to do some book signings together in the last year, um, which has been so much fun. I have a, a question here from Dow. Uh, what is your usual writing practice? Do you write in the morning or whenever or do you write daily? So I was never a daily writer. Um, and I feel that anybody who tells you you can't write if you don't write daily is full of crap. Um, mm -hmm. But to each their own, everybody has to find the method that works for them. Um, I used to do what I call binge writing um, because I was never a full-time fiction author. So I always had to arrange all of my other responsibilities around, um, you know, in a week so that I had one or two full days in a week to write. And then I would write, I, I don't recommend this. I would write <laughs> for 10 to 12 straight hours, wow. getting up only for food and bathroom breaks and write 10,000 words in a day. And then I wouldn't touch my book again for a week or two. And then I'd do it all over again. Joe, that must be where the caffeine addict part of your bio comes in. <laughs> yeah, that part. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I I used to camp at my local Barnes & Noble from the time they opened until the time they closed because there was a cafe and I could just, you know, get what I needed. And I, yeah, yep. Let, so. let me ask you this question, though, because whenever I hear about binge writing, the thing that always that always wor worries me about it is is like, 
well, how do you kickstart the binge? I mean, how do you turn it on? Um, do, do you ju- are you just like so, so much raring to go that that when you finally have that opportunity, there's just no problem getting started? I think for the most part, yeah, because for me, like, um, it's a case of absence makes the heart grow fonder. So like, if I haven't touched a book in a week, I've been thinking about it, I've written notes, I've got like, the next three scenes in my head that I just am dying to get onto paper, and I just have to wait and wait and wait until I can sit and do it. Um, Because I can't write personally in three to 500 word sprints. I I cannot do it. I do not hit stride until between a thousand and two thousand in words. Um, Because I just can't. It just doesn't work for me. I've tried. Yep. So uh, as we're closing in on the end here, I want to get to one question. This is a very generous question that was asked. What upcoming events do the three of you have coming up? And and Joe, I believe you have something coming up in September, don't you? I do. There's um there's an event called Books, Books, Books in Lilitz, Pennsylvania. Sorry, that name always trips me up. Um, Wait, can you say that name again? What the heck was it's that? Lilitz. It's. Good lord. Here, I'll put it. It's yeah. Um, Lititz. So, okay. I, yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, and so it's called Books, 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 and um, that'll be the I think probably my last signing for this year. Um, and then I have a couple that I'm hoping to line up for next year. Um, I only at this point do local events that I can drive through. So the you know like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, New Jersey, mm-hmm. Maryland, Delaware, you know, just in pretty much the tri-state area. Yep. What about you, Melissa? Um, I'm assuming I'm teaching at AWP, moderating at least one panel. And I had to look at my website because I can never remember <laughs> what conferences I'm teaching at. You're I'm very, teaching- you're very active in, in all of this. Yeah, I'm teaching at a conference in uh, Southern Washington, Western Washington, one of the Washingtons next month. Uh-huh. And you just got finished with with uh, a, a panel, was it? at a, Or you were doing a it workshop, weren't you? Two workshops and a panel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Oh, no, it's fun. I love it. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope someday. I mean, I hope someday to be on on a panel with you. That would be. Oh, uh, we're going to do it. We're do it. <laughs> I, I hope so. And as for me, uh, I will be appearing uh, in MFA 505 next next term <laughs> to popular acclaim. Can you share your website below? Um, Bert Tamara Tamara said, can we please share our website? Oh, yeah, I'll type mine in there. Should I do mine as well? I think Melissa sure. already put it up there, but I'll, it was at the I'll very it beginning. Yeah, do it again. I'm just trying to look up to see if I can add to my list of Facebook groups real quick. There are just, there are so many of them. I find them incredibly useful as well. Maybe I should get back on Facebook. Yes, Paul, get back on. You gotta see my cat. I post my cats all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, my my husband deleted Facebook, too, and I keep thinking, like, I'm going to, but my my romance groups, I just I can't give them up. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can't it. find that that support or community anywhere else, so I hear there you. There was a, a very robust romance writers community on Twitter, um, but given the changes on yeah. On Twitter, as of late, I'm pretty sure that's gone by the wayside. Yeah, oh. it's very, very sad what's happened. I mean, Twitter was such a incredible space for writers, just useful for it, so many ways, marketing, community, and that it's just been very sad to watch that um, all, all be destroyed. Um, yeah. 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 Well, on that and cheery note, <laughs> talk about what not to do. So just one quick side note, as an author, especially an independent author, you are your brand. And so once you have established brand recognition like Twitter, the worst thing you can do is throw it all out the window. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, you know, just just that. <laughs> so I'm still on there. Yeah. yeah. Same. What can I say? Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right. Well, that's going to be it for tonight. And I want to thank uh, our guest, Joe Ann Stout, and uh, my co-host, Melissa Hart. Thank you. And we will be back uh, in September with a guest uh, to be determined. <laughs> thank you all so much. It was great chatting about romance and the writing world with everybody. Thanks, everybody.